politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberties to the one and only CR podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz, your trusty host back in the house here on Tuesday, March 9th. Lots going on as always. We are getting into this week full bore. Those of you who haven't signed up for our Constitution Action Network at conaction.network, um, make sure to do so, especially if you are in a red state where I think there is a lot more we can or should be getting done, making red states red again, making state legislatures great again, and then we'll focus on everything county, state, and federal and beyond. One-man show here, but we're taking a one-man show into uh, thousands of people because no one could do this alone I'm getting burned out, but I'm also getting reinvigorated by so many of you signing up for this. And as always, send our podcast around to all of your friends and relatives. See our podcast. It's really on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you hear podcasts. Give us a five-star review so um, it will make it harder for them to censor us, but not impossible. Today, we're going to focus a lot on the border war. We're going to have a special guest a very small-town mayor, great patriot near the border in Texas. He's going to give us a briefing on what's going on. And I want to get to that in a moment. But I just first want to finish off some of what we talked about yesterday with the COVID fascism, the mass mandates, and really emblematically demonstrating that we are totally underutilizing the map. Red states are nearly as blue as the blue states. There's a lot of news yesterday of several governors and states getting rid of their mask mandates. And all my colleagues are like jumping around and they're so happy. Look, you see red fish, blue fish, one fish, two fish, red team versus blue team. Yay, red color war. Oh, whoops. Not really. We've become so acclimated to tyranny that now we dumb down what success means. We define success down to the point that we are happy with the masking of children in school for seven hours a day and the developmental, emotional, behavioral, and physical defects that that will create thereof. But at least they got rid of it on adults walking into stores, which most stores probably will still enforce it anyway. This is what we're happy with. And I keep yelling at my colleagues when they send around this business of uh, the Wyoming governor agreed to get rid of the mask mandate at the end of the week. You know, because yesterday I said he wasn't getting rid of it, and then he announced he will. But then I read his press release, and you guys need to do this in every state whenever you hear they're getting rid of it. Check for one thing. Are they getting rid of it in school? That's the whole enchilada. I mean, none of us want it anywhere, but children should be, A, it's the most severe in their development to wear a mask. B, there's the least justification, even if masks did work. And C, they're the ones wearing it for seven hours a day. I don't like going to a store for 20, 30 minutes with it. But if you put a gun to my head 
and said we're going to have a mandate for you to wear it in a store or for a kid to wear it in school, I think we should all agree that kids in school should be the first mandate to go. Yet, all of the states that are supposedly taking it off are leaving it on kids. Governor Mark Gordon, rhino from the pit of hell, he said in his press release, the face covering protocol will still be in place for children. Yeah, you know what? That's one, one way to refer to it. That's one way to euphemize it. Face covering protocol. The image of God. A children's face. Criminalizing their breathing. Making them learn under those circumstances. A face covering protocol. These are the governors that we have in red states. And they're doing that. That's not getting rid of the mask mandate. But it's like a reprieve. This is how that Overton window continues to move inexorably towards, I would say, communism, but this is even worse than that. Even the communists didn't do that. Yet, we can't find a single place. Name me right now a single county in the entire United States where children can go to school without a mask. Now, when when this is all said and done, by the end of the week, I think there will be some parts of Texas that will have it. But others are still still resisting. But you get my point. For all the talk of 17 or 18 states getting rid of the mask mandate or not having it, almost all of them force it on school children. And somehow we view that as like an exception. But that's the most egregious part of it. It's unbelievable. Truly, truly unbelievable. So that's something we absolutely have to deal with. One other thing I wanted to clear the decks on today before we go on to the border, and that is Trump's endorsement. So Trump came out with a statement that he directed at the RNC, told them to stop using him in promotions. I'm sick of sending money to rhinos. Send your money to my pack. Don't send it to the rhinos. Send it to me. Now, as I've noted, the statement is great. I mean, this is really the key. I mean, Trump could remake the entire landscape were he to get involved in every red state gubernatorial and senatorial primary this cycle. He could remake the landscape more than anyone ever has, much more so than he did as president. So that's really welcome news. No more money to rhinos. And then in the same breath, I see another endorsement. John Bozeman in Arkansas. It's like somehow he picks the most random people. Folks, I want to love the guy. I mean, he's all we have to, that could really make a difference. What am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to say? I, I, I just don't get it. Jake, or one of our listeners from Arkansas, emails me. As a proud Arkansas, I I am incredibly disappointed. Trump's endorsement of pathetic rhino Bozeman this evening. This is Trump's second endorsement in the past week of a bleeding heart rhino from Arkansas. The first being Lieutenant Governor Tom Griffin. Senator Bozeman has repeatedly failed the conservative movement, retreated behind the relative safety of the McConnell-Washington establishment over the past two decades. He was outspoken in his distaste for Trump in 2016, opposing his immigration proposals as, quote, un-American, saying he'd knock his teeth out. This year, like far too many in our party, Bozeman has been hiding under his desk during the mayhem wrought by BLM riots and COVID tyranny. 
And um, he talks about all the hardships done by, I mean, Arkansas is horrible. The governor, lieutenant governor, it's just terrible. And um, that's what Trump is doing. I don't get it. I don't know what to say, but it needs intervention very quickly. Otherwise, he will effectively carpet bomb preemptively any any opportunity that we will have to drain the swamp. Almost like preemptively plugging up any hole so that the muck stays in there. I, I just don't get it. It's Orwellian beyond belief. I mean, again, as I said, like there's one thing if he made one or two bold endorsements and then endorsed some rhinos too. Now, that shouldn't happen either, but okay, I could take it. But literally, he's batting a 1,000 on rhino endorsements while saying defund the rhinos. I don't get it. But that was kind of emblematic of his presidency too. I just, I don't, just don't get it. So the border, the border war. There's a lot going on there. We now have, we now have our own government announcing that they're going to keep, as I warned you, keep the National Guard in Washington to promote and evince an image that there's this endless threat of right-wing terrorism when it doesn't exist. While we have terrorism at our border, we have an invasion at our border, and that's where the National Guard belongs. So, actually, first, I, I do want to get to this before I talk about the border. This is from the Military Times. Task force calls for permanent National Guard force to protect D.C. A task force charged with making recommendations to boost congressional security after a deadly January 6th pro-Trump mob assault. Actually, the only death was on the Trump support side, but whatever. The security review led by retired Army Lieutenant General Russell Honore, who ran military relief efforts uh, for Hurricane Katrina, recommended establishing a permanent National Guard quick reaction force for all D.C. And um, basically, to combat the slow military response, the task force report makes an unprecedented request to give the commander for the D.C. Guard the authority to deploy troops without the president's permission under extreme circumstances, something that could raise significant questions on the integrity of civilian control of the military. We recommend the commanding general of the D.C. National Guard shall retain emergency authority in extraordinary emergency circumstances where prior authorization by the president is impossible and duly constitutional local authorities are unable to control the situation. Folks, that is exactly what happened with BLM rioting, and they didn't deploy it. Now they're talking about deploying that when there's literally not a soul in sight. There's nobody there. BLM was storming the Richmond Capitol in Virginia yesterday. While some officers were dancing with them. This is sick. But I just wanted to preface that with what's going on on our border, what we won't do. I spoke with a friend of mine who's in Border Patrol. And he's on a riverine unit. That means that these are the guys on the boats in the Rio Grande River in Texas that patrol the perimeter there. Now, a couple couple of things. I want to just give you a quick briefing before we get to Don McLaughlin, our, our special guest. But I just wanted to give you what I'm hearing. He's going to tell you what he's hearing and seeing on the ground there. 
So a couple of days ago, there was a sniper attack. Now, they didn't fire, but they set up snipers, the CDN cartel, that's the Cartel del Norete, um, the northern cartel, it's a break off of the Zetas, and they were kicking the Gulf cartel out of the region around Roma, Texas, okay, so around Star County, Roma, Texas, at the border there at the, at the Rio Grande River, and they're moving farther east, and they want to take control of a certain area to control the flow across the border. They set up snipers. Now, surveillance they always have. They're surveilling our border patrol, and we, we do nothing about it, and it's, it's, it's an open thing. I mean, they've declared war on us a long time ago. We do nothing. Our border patrol are just a bunch of babysitters sitting ducks doing nothing to complete the criminal conspiracy of smuggling, take them off the hands of the cartels. That's all they're doing. It would actually, as I noted two years ago, during the height of the crisis, it would actually be better not to have a border patrol now. And I'll explain why. But basically, they set up sniper teams. And our DHS did nothing about it. Sedena, which is the Mexican special forces that are somewhat trustworthy that we work with, so they actually cleaned them out. They went after the cartel. DHS did nothing. The only ones to show up on the American side were Texas DPS to provide security. And what was DHS's response? They issued helmets to the river patrol, and then they barred them from patrolling in that area. So they gave the cartel what they want, which is why the cartel typically does that. Because they, they've learned that the reaction from our side is to run away. They did it, if you remember when I reported two years ago on then shooting up a CBP boat. They, they, they specifically shot at the hull of the boat. They didn't shoot at the people. But that was a message for them to get out, and they did. So they won't patrol there. While they bring over drugs, high-value targets, previously deported uh, bad dudes, sex offenders, and you know gang members, cartel officials as well. And that's what's happening there. So we have an invasion at our border, and we're running away, and we're using the National Guard there in D.C. against our own people for nothing. Now, the good news is Governor Abbott, you know, I'm not a big fan of him, of his, but at least he did kind of deploy DPS. And there is some value there because basically what's happening now is that the cartels send over on rafts a bunch of family units. Now, if I were in charge of Border Patrol, and I knew that they were just being released into the country anyway, I would just ignore them. Because there's no point in trying to apprehend them and be the babysitter because the cartel uses that to tie them up and then they send in the bad guys. Not that all these family units are good guys either, but you get my point. But of course, no. CBP has to do the worst thing of all, which is go chase the bait for the cartel and basically process them so they could be released anyway. I would rather we just totally release them, 
do nothing so they don't know where to go. Instead, we make an orderly release. I would rather an unorderly release so or disorderly release where they're just roaming around everywhere aimlessly and it forces some sort of political pressure, which is mounting, by the way, which is the good news, and we'll talk about that with, uh, with Mayor McLaughlin. But the good news is what Texas DPS is able to do is stand there and at least while the agents are tied up, they could actually do what the agents are supposed to do. Now, ultimately, here's the problem. They don't have the ability to remove them or prosecute them. So ultimately, they have to, they give them over to the feds. And who knows, they, they might let the bad guys go too. But at least they help plug some of those holes. Because what I was told is that the gotaways, they're called gotaways, the people that run, and those are typically the bad guys that don't want to be caught, they're so high that the RGV sector is now basically lying about the number of gotaways. In other words, the reported gotaways are lower than that of the San Diego sector, which makes no sense. Because San Diego has a wall, and also the RGV is just always has 10 times as much traffic. So they're, they're denying the problem. Every day, you have the worst human beings alive coming in the thousands and getting away. All that technology is worthless, given what we're doing. So, I mean, our Texas teams, it's something to really push in the legislature to boost Texas DPS and just as much as possible Abbott's talking about sending in the National Guard as well, which needs to be done. One interesting idea I want to share with you that I think needs to be pushed in the states, and this is another, look, I know I have all these projects and I don't have enough activists to deal with it, but it's another project of mine. Texas Representative Brian Slayton, he filed a House Bill 2826, uh, 2862, 2862, which would have Texas finish the border wall in Texas. Because again, as I told you guys, right now, what you have going on there is the worst of all. They didn't build the wall contiguously. They built it in pieces. So you have all these gaps. So it's worse than having nothing because now you have the access roads that were built by Border Patrol in order to build the, the construction or the Army Corps of Engineers, whatever. Now they have, they're able to get in because it's not complete. And now it's worse than before because they have access to those roads, even in rugged areas where they would have a harder time traversing our territory. Now they have a way of getting in. So they would complete the wall. I think this is a major grassroots effort we need. We need to help him pass the bill in Texas. But what we need to do is get other states to pass bills to each chip in a little bit, both with state funding, but also with crowdsourcing from private donations to help Texas pay for it, because it's very expensive for one state to do something like that. And why should Texas have to pay for it alone? All the good states should get together and say, we're going to fund the border wall. It would galvanize the public. It would embarrass the heck out of Biden. And it would force an inflection moment on this issue. And that's the, all we can do, is force an inflection moment. And I think we are rapidly reaching that point. People are getting ticked off. As you saw in the election returns, Hispanic voters along the border flipped to Trump, and it's gotten even worse. They're sick of them destroying their communities. 
Um, my agent friend tells me they get calls to the station all the time from neighbors snitching on others who are hiding illegals, which they never used to do because the culture was always very pro-illegal alien in the RGV and the Del Rio area. But now you even have Democrats yelping about it. Henry Cuellar, that gay um, mayor of Del Rio, I forgot his name, um, he's up in arms. In many respects, the one thing working for us better than two years ago is that we have Biden instead of Trump. So now they got what they want. You got your guy in. Now what are you going to do about your communities destroyed? It's kind of like the dog catching the car. You wanted open borders? You have it. I don't think the left has truly thought out what they're doing. Because the problem is, you know, they like, obviously, bad legal immigration, just like this third world, endless legal immigration where they vote Democrat, but it's gradual, no, no one notices, or like the, the, the gradual amnesties. But when you have a border invasion like this, it's going to force some sort of resolution. That's, that's, that's the problem. They have no idea. You can't tell a billion to two billion people in the world, well, we want you so badly, we're not going to deport you, but you know, don't embarrass us, come a little slower. <laughs> that's not going to work. So those are some of the thoughts I just wanted to share with you, some of the intel. I wanted to give you guys the latest news, but I really think we need to start thinking of ways. Again, states need to cut off refugee resettlement. They need to say we're not going to participate. We need to push that in every state and every county as well to opt out of it. It's another action item. And in addition, we need... um, You know, we need to uh, really, really start to get some sort of interstate compact to build a wall. And and hopefully, once you do that, that will create a precedent of dealing with illegal immigration at a state level. That's what we got to do. It's our only choice. So that's that's from my briefing. Now I want to get to our guest. Now, folks, some of you newbies, and there's a lot of you guys, I'm so thankful for the growth this year, might not have heard of Don McLaughlin, but we had him on a couple times two years ago during the last border crisis. He is a steel pipe recovery businessman. He is your everyday Joe the Builder, Don the Builder type of guy, Um, just like so many of you in the audience He happens to live 60 miles from the border, and he happens to also be the mayor of the town of Uvalde. And it is about 60 miles from Del Rio, which is a major uh, border town with Mexico. And he's been blowing up my phone telling me, Daniel, it's getting just like it was two years ago, and no one's talking about it. And he is 60 miles from the border. And you're going to hear his presentation in a moment. But I just want you to notice something very interesting. The difference between people who care or don't care, I've said this before, comparing myself to other colleagues that are unelected, you know, kind of doing politics from a media side, a policy side. Sometimes if you earn a lot of money doing politics, it just gives you a different perspective. You just don't feel a sense of urgency. You kind of feel a little bit shielded from it. You don't feel an urgency to fight back against the lockdown. You don't feel an urgency to fight back against the open borders or the dependency and the debt and the spending, right? That doesn't bother you that much. You might, maybe if you claim to be a conservative, you'll fight back a little bit, but it doesn't bother you. And this is the problem with a lot of the politicians as well. 
They're so shielded from the problem, they don't care. But Don is really your everyday American, you know, trying to earn a living, and he happens to be a mayor of a small town. He he earns 50 bucks a month. Okay, that is his salary. But given what's going on, this is not really a part-time job. I mean, he's spending a lot of time dealing with the problems that they have illegals coming in from all over the place, easily 60 miles into the border, even much further than that. I'm hearing 200 miles from some Texas uh, sheriffs. And, you know, again, he gets paid 50 bucks a month. So this is a very different type of elected official than the ones we're used to dealing with and talk about at a national level that don't give a darn about the people and they're so disconnected. So with that, I want you to hear the personal story of a small-town mayor near the border. What is going on? Don, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, Daniel, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to, to let people know what's going on in our region because I just don't feel that, that, that the media is picking it up and telling people truly what's happening along these border areas. Uh, I mean, we're a small town. You're a small town, and that's what I want to talk about. You're not just a small town, but you're 60 miles from the border. So you're not right on the border there. So can no, you just explain to our audience no, just this not. point? How did they get there? How did they get sure. there? Well, well, what we're, what we're experiencing now that we've never experienced before is the car chases. The car chases, you know, Uvalde, if we saw one or two car chases a year, that was a big deal. We're seeing anywhere from six to 10 a week now. High-speed chases going 90 to 100 miles an hour, flying through our town, flying through our community. Uh, they put our citizens at risk. It puts our, our, our local law enforcement at risk, our police department, our sheriff's department, as well as our local Border Patrol agents. I mean, just this weekend, we had two head-on crashes. Uh, with immigrants running from law enforcement. Uh, one was in Sabinal, which is in Uvalde County, about 20 miles north of us that flew through Uvalde, and they crashed in head-on to another car in Sabinal. Luckily, nobody was hurt seriously. Uh, but And then the other one was in Batesville, which is 20 miles to the, south, to the southwest of us. So, I mean, this is just getting crazy. I mean, we're catching them on trains. We're catching them uh, on foot traffic. I mean, there's a lady in Uvalde that uh, in the last two weeks, they tried to break into her house uh, two weeks ago while she was there. She keeps her grandkids. She was home alone. They tried to get in her house. Her alarm went off. The police were there. The guys got away. We caught them later that afternoon trying to break into another house in Uvalde. Then this weekend, she had her grandkids at the house. Uh, they were outside playing in the yard, and here come four, four men uh, running towards her house to get in her house. Luckily, there was a local farmer farming next door that saw it and came to her aid before we could get the border patrol and the police department there. It's just, it, I mean, the numbers that we're seeing are just horrendous. I mean, and it's not stopping. And then the other thing that with this too, is we, we have all these immigrants coming across our, our own federal government released them and there's no COVID protocol testing in place. And they're telling you that 1% of these people are tested positive for COVID it's more like 40%, but they're not releasing the numbers. Uh, and I mean, we're getting this information from boots on the ground and now they're being told, you know, not, not to be, not to be giving us information that we're, that we were getting. I mean, it's getting crazy. Yeah. So that, that's the funny thing that Texans were locked down for so long and they'd curfews, especially in the RGV. I remember, um, because of COVID and now suddenly there's no problem of COVID anymore, but, but let's take that a step further, 
Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of aspects to talk about. Let's talk about the health aspect. We'll get back to some of the security issues. So with the health aspect, we were told that Americans needed to be locked down and don't have any civil rights anymore um, because it was so important to pursue the goal of alleviating the burden on hospitals that this needed to be done. Yet when it comes to international travel of people that don't have a right to be here and they travel unilaterally on their own volition without our permission to cross over, um, suddenly not only is there no concern to shut that down, but they downright go to hospitals. What are you hearing? Again, you're not in the Rio Grande sector. You're 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 one over in the Del Rio, or really two over Del Rio sector. Um, what are you hearing in terms of the medical care hospitalizations? Um, what Border Patrol is doing to take them to hospitals? Well, here's what happens when the Border Patrol, and this is what happens. It's happening in Valverde County, which is Del Rio, and Maverick County, which is Eagle Pass. Uh, what happened in Uvalde? Some. But what happens when the Border Patrol brings a sick, a sick, uh, illegal alien in or whatever, they go immediately into the emergency room and are seen immediately. That emergency room may be, may be full of, of citizens that are waiting to be seen or be treated for something, but everything stops when a legal alien comes in and they are given, they are given priority over everybody and given the treatment that they need at that time. Whereas we may have people that have been sitting in that emergency room for three and four hours waiting to be seen. Uh, it's crazy because like I said, they get, they get priority over our own citizens, uh, when there's a, when there's an issue, uh, you know, I'm not begrudging these people that they need their help or whatever, but we shouldn't be in this situation. Our doctors shouldn't be put in this situation. Our, our emergency room should be put in this situation. Whereas where illegal immigrants are getting priority over citizens. It's, I mean, it, it's, it happens every day. It, it's happening every day. I mean, Del Rio, their hospital was at capacity. Uh, all of us were on a lockdown, a mandatory lockdown, because we're in some region where we were greater than 15%. So we were all on lockdowns. We had to shut bars down again. We had to bring restaurants down below 50% capacity. And yet we have these people free flowing and, and nobody, nobody's, nobody's screaming about it. I mean, they tell us, they still tell us, well, wear a mask, do this, do that. Uh, but you know, at the same token, they want to put this burden of these illegal immigrants on us to do the testing for them, to do the quarantining of them. And a town like Uvalde, even with all the people that we have that volunteer and are willing to help, we don't have the resources to do it. And it's going to get crazy because what's happening, these people that are testing positive for Corona, uh, the virus and that that the Border Patrol is releasing or, or their head, their, the hierarchy is releasing. The local guys don't like doing it, but they have to follow orders. But what happens, these people get on a bus. And we think we're getting this, this uh, disease under control, and we are, but all of a sudden we're going to have another spike because these people are getting on buses, and they're going all over the United States. Nobody, no, 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 no quarantine, no nothing. Those that they have quarantined, they put them in a hotel room, they go back to check on them, and they're gone. They've left, uh, and they're getting on the deal. Now, Greyhound is talking about now you're going to have to show a COVID test before you get on the Greyhound bus. What are we going to do then when we can't move these people anywhere? What are we going to do still with them? We don't have the resources. Del Rio doesn't have the resources. Mayor Lozano was on the other night screaming about it, that he doesn't have the resources. Our NGOs are spread too thin because we've been helping our own citizens through this time. 
it's just crazy. Wow, that that is that is quite telling that they are directly being taken to hospitals. And remember, we already had a policy in place, Title 42, where we turned them around during an epidemic. And Biden actively undid that for certain classes of illegal aliens, and it keeps growing. And it's leading to this spike that we didn't have before. And somehow that mitigation effort of keeping illegal aliens out, which really should be in place all the time, is not being implemented and it's being reversed. So do you hear any noise from CDC or the Texas Department of Health, any concerns raised about this? Because I'm sure you hear about from the Department of Health concerns about COVID every second. But are you hearing concerns about introducing an entire entirely new population that travels in very close quarters together? Well, they're ta- I mean, the, you know, the governor, the governor has come home protesting it. The, the health department is, you know, basically their hands are tied because the federal government does what they want and don't ask and doesn't ask permission or whatever. I mean, you know, uh, President Biden wanted to set up uh, testing stations in Texas where we could do it in the state of Texas. Well, that's just another magnet to bring that many more to us, to Texas. I mean, it's it's we don't we don't have the resources. I mean, it's going to take our governors sending DPS troops to the border now uh, talking about uh, activating the National Guard to go down to the border. But the border needs to be shut down and do it. I mean, what we're what everybody seems to be forgetting here that we're not following the rule of law. There's a rule of law that you're supposed to follow. But when you when you cross the border illegally, you broke the law. You shouldn't be rewarded and released into the country. And I mean, the other thing is you act like you're helping these people when they're released. They're not allowed to get a job. They're not allowed to do anything. If they do, they're in violation of their deal and they're subject to immediate deportation. Well, what are these people going to do when you release them in, especially when they have a health problem or a health pandemic, how are they going to survive? Who's going to take care of them? That's the problem that, that nobody's seeing. I mean, and it's taxing everybody uh, to do it And the health department. Like I said, I mean, they don't, nobody knows from one day to the next what's going on on that border because and quite honestly, our federal government's not being truthful with, with, with our local governments or our state governments. They will not give you the numbers and that that you need. No, they're not. And, and we're seeing even some Democrat officials, which, you know, most of the border officials in, in Texas, at least are Democrats are, are the, even there. They're starting to complain about it. My question to you is I want to go back up to where you are. So, you know, they come over the border and now catch and release is back in business. So they're shipping them off all over all over the country. But you're not on the border. You're 60 miles in, but I'm hearing this all over Texas, well into the border. You get live bodies there. Now, so my question is, do they march there or is is the are the feds dumping them there? How do they get there? Well, both. I mean, for one, they go on the they, they go on the they have trails and foot traffic to local ranchers. I mean, they're 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 walking across local ranches. They're cutting fences. They're stealing their cars when they can, if they can find the keys to them, or if they can hotwire them. They're stealing the ranchers' vehicles and coming in. But the foot traffic, they come in on trains. You know, on a, on a freight train. We have a checkpoint on a train. On a train, just in just in the last ninety days, we pulled almost a thousand people off those trains that are hiding in those train cars and that they're coming in, uh, in the smuggling cases. I mean, where they're coming in cars and that we're up to 1100 and 1160 that we're catching in cars that are coming through. And most of them are high speed chases. And before 
we didn't have an issue in the last in the last 60 days twice our officers have been shot at and you didn't see that on the national news anywhere uh you know they were talking about more and more of these uh, of these immigrants that are coming across some of them they're finding armed the other thing is 57 sexual predators have been rearrested in the last 90 days at the crossing the border 57 of them. wait and that's just that's just in the del rio sector is that correct that's just in the del rio sector that doesn't count anything else i mean the other day we caught two sexual predators in the uvalde sector that had been deported once before it served two years and we had been charged with rape served two years and were deported they came back were caught deported again and then they were caught for the third time so I just want to make that clear when you when you catch people far inland. So typically, the reason why they're going on a high speed chase and they're trying to avoid detection at a time when you know the government's offering de facto amnesty. So you know you just come in you know up front and you're pretty much let in. You're obviously a pretty bad guy. Yes, most of these most of most of them have most of them are hiding in these groups that have criminal records that can't get any other way. So they're coming in through this, through, through uh, smuggling, and we're catching more. They've caught, I think, three murderers, uh, and then the sexual predators, and then several more. But like I said, all of a sudden, the information flow that we were getting and the statistics we we're getting has stopped. They've been told not to not to give us that information anymore, and that puts our citizens at risk. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does because I'm just trying to picture some of your ranchers, so you have, you have a town, but then you have massive swaths of territory that's bigger than any counties out east where I am of just ranch land. And, and my, you know, my concern would be when you have international bad actors that just got involved with the cartels and the smugglers or they themselves are part of the networks, these are really violent people or at a minimum very desperate people. And, you know, you're an American living on our side of the border, and you have a flow of these people in very desperate straits, kind of fugitives. That's a pretty dangerous situation to put our citizens it's, it's in. It's real bad. I mean, we hear stories We hear stories from the Border Patrol and that. Again, you don't see them on the news and that. Well, they'll encounter smugglers that will come in that are carrying backpacks and so forth, and they're more well-armed than, than, than any of our law enforcement in our area. So in that in, they don't have the, the firepower to engage them in that, so they're told just to document them and back away and don't 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 try to intercept them. It's like I said, it, it's just crazy what's going on down here, and people just don't realize it. They get 200 miles from the border and they think everything's gone. And we put across like that deal that we're doing these people such a great favor. I mean, most of these people are, that are coming across that are smuggled. What they don't tell you, they're paying that cartel ten to twenty thousand dollars to be brought into the United States to be smuggled in. Okay, if they get caught, guess what? Their debt doesn't go away. That cartel tells them, "You owe us that money. You don't pay us, we're going to get your family." That's what happens. And so, I mean, you act like we're doing these people a favor. We're not. We should go back and shut our borders down and go back to the rule of law. There's a way to come into this country, and that's the way we should be doing it. And our citizens, I mean, Uvalde's 85% Hispanic. Our Hispanic population, they're as frustrated as we are over it. They're mad. I mean, some of them actually came across the right way and, and went through the, the procedures, got their papers, and are great, great people to have in our community. But even they're frustrated with all this. That's what I was wondering if you're trying, if you're starting to see a paradigm shift. I talked about the voting patterns, how they changed last election. 
and then that was before this really got um, hot at the border. At this point, like my question is, at what point do the Democrats have to stand up for their people? I mean, how long could they allow party politics to just turn a blind eye to this? Well, you're starting to see that now. I mean, uh, Congressman Cuellar is finally, you know, he's, he's been as vocal as anybody lately that we have to stop this. We have to change something on this border because it's getting crazy. I mean, you know, it's not working. This open the open the gates and come. I mean, where do these people to get T-shirts that say Biden let us in? I mean, somebody's giving them to them on this side. Uh, I mean, it's gotten crazy. And like I said, to send uh, the the new Department of Homeland Security down there, uh, Mr. Marocos, I, I may be butchering his name, but I mean, to come down and say we don't have a problem on the border. Well, I noticed when he flew down into Laredo, Texas, he had a police escort everywhere he went. He didn't go unattended. He didn't get in a car and just drive to these sites. He had he had a number of local law enforcement escorting him everywhere he went. Then he went to Creaser Springs. He had a, 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 an escort of law enforcement going to Creaser Springs to see the, the facility they've opened up there, which is already at capacity. Uh, you know, they're, they're separating these kids. They act like it's families. Most of these people are grabbing young kids in Mexico that the cartels either giving them or whatever to cross the border with them. And when they get there, they're finding out that the, the children have no, no relationship to the people and they're taking them from them. And then we have them just flooding people, young, young people in our facility in Uvalde. We have, we have a unaccompanied minor detention center. Uh, they're from three years old to 17 years old. So how does a three year old come across the border unaccompanied? I mean, people need to wake up. There's, you know, this is a scam that's being perpetrated on the American people, and we're doing it in the, in the name of, of uh, humanitarianism. And it, it, we're not. We're, we're not. I mean, where do these people? What are you going to do with? No, it's the exact. It's the exact opposite. Now, one thing that that concerns me, if I'm in your area, I picture myself where I live, far away from the border, and typically the problems that you run across security-wise are in the big cities. You get out, you drive on the open country roads, you feel very safe. But my feeling is that where you are, you get out of the city and you go down towards Eagle Pass, towards Del Rio, nothing really there, ranch land, no infrastructure. Are there concerns even traveling on roads? Because, I mean, those are smuggling corridors, right? Yes, there's you're, there's certain there's certain roads that you're told that you're told that if you see somebody on the side of the road or whatever, don't stop, don't stop, call in, report it, don't stop. I mean, what they'll do, they'll they'll fake a car down on uh, on the Mines Road down in Creaso and and uh, and Maverick and part of uh, Webb County and that the, what they call the Old Mines Road. You don't travel that road when the sun sets. You are not on that road. It's that bad. The cartel uses it, and the smugglers using it, and it, it, they will hijack your car in a heartbeat, and you just don't go on it. I mean, I don't think you won't find a rancher now in Uvalde County that probably is not armed in his car when he's out, period, on their ranches. I mean, they're getting confronted more and more. Most of them, their fences are getting tore. They're trashing the land. Uh, they have no no regard, and they're getting bolder and bolder and bolder about coming to your house and demanding you give them food, you give them transportation, you give them money. Well, we used to not do that. When they used to come through before, they would want some food, and they'd even offer to do some work for a day or two when they came through, if you paid them and watered them and, and, and that. But not, not anymore. I mean, now now you, you owe me. Give me. 
gimmick. Uh, it's crazy. And these ranchers are, and it, it, it's a powder keg that's going to blow up because it's just, a, it's not a matter of, of, of if, it's a matter of when, when somebody's going to get shot, whether it be a local, a local citizen, a local rancher, or one of these immigrants coming across the deal because they're getting braver and braver and braver. And some of them, to be honest, or, or, you know, are very aggressive when they approach you. We're seeing more aggressiveness now than we've ever seen before. And that, that really scares me because it jives with what I heard from my uh, friend who's a Border Patrol agent um, that just the cartels and the smugglers are getting more aggressive with Border Patrol. And, and typically, until now, historically, there was always this unspoken deterrent that they kill their own, but they don't want to go after Americans because they don't want to elicit a blowback. Um, they, they like keeping the border kind of quiet, keeping their operations quiet. They don't want a lot of attention. But when you have the president of the United States and his entire administration openly engaging in a criminal, criminal conspiracy along with them to invite them in, it really makes you wonder if you put yourself in their shoes, is there any deterrent? Do they have anything to fear that there's any line that they could cross that will elicit that reaction? I don't think it would. I don't think if they killed a border agent, I don't think our government, as it's currently constituted, would respond to that by going over there and cleaning out the cartel there, you know, on that that plaza on the other side. Um, they'd never want to touch them. And I that that's what scares me. And I think, I mean, I sense that's what you're seeing uh, trickling down, whether it's the smugglers themselves or just the individual previously deported aliens or other people coming in, um, they feel like it's it's their land. They do. They feel when when we when they came across the last time. I'll give you a perfect example of the the Congolese that crossed at Del Rio, Texas, and and get this: we had 450 Congolese cross in Del Rio, Texas. Look on a map and see where the Congolese is in Africa. Then look where Del Rio, Texas is. So how? And my question was how? How did they get to Del Rio, Texas? So as soon as they crossed the deal, they every one of them had money in their pocket. But the first thing they want to know is where's my check? Where's my food? Where are you going to house me? Not not that's the that, that was their that was their deal. Yo, I'm here now. You owe me a place to live. Give me a place to live. Give me food. Give me give me money. I mean, it's crazy. That's the mentality that they have, and that's the mentality that we're sending. And we can't, we're not even taking care of our own people. When you look at the number of homeless that we're seeing in major cities and our veterans that, that, that need care and different things, that they, they are pushed to the back of the line, and we are giving these illegal immigrants priority over our own American citizens. We have homelessness in our own country. For what we're spending on the border and giving these people, we could, we could almost eradicate the homelessness in our own country. But yet we continue to, to, to uh, cater to these illegal immigrants and thinking we're doing something for them in a, in a positive way, and we're not. I forgot about that point because that's a huge problem in Texas. San Antonio, Austin have huge problems with uh, uh, homelessness, just like on the West Coast. This has been a big problem the last five or so years in particular, and it's growing. We're just adding to this. And you know what you're describing to me is um, I, I wrote a book on sovereignty, and the Merriam-Webster's definition is supreme power over a given area, freedom from external control. And that we don't have that. I mean, we don't do not have jurisdictional sovereignty over our own land. The cartels manipulate the entire flow from the surveillance to the um, you know, trespassing. And 
our Border Patrol is forced to run away. This is really bad. My final question to you is, on a state level, are your state legislators doing anything? I mean, is there any push to try to do more at a state level? Because that's something our audience is very concerned with, and we're trying to organize people to fight on a state legislative level. Sure. I mean, one of the, our, our legislature is looking at it. Their hands are tied to some degree. But one of the most one of the most interesting things that I saw the other day that one of our state legislators, uh, and I believe he was out of Dallas or Fort Worth or somewhere up, actually introduced a bill for the state of Texas to go ahead and complete the border wall for uh, that the uh, Biden administration has stopped, so that we could could curtail the flow coming across our border. And as a Texan, I would I would donate in a heartbeat for it. Because, the you know, it's funny that a border wall doesn't work along the border to protect our citizens and that. But when you look at our state, our, our nation's capital now, we have a great big fence and all these National Guards are there to protect these 435 people that are up there supposed to be taking care of us that aren't. But yet it's 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 horrendous that we would want to build a wall to keep these criminals to keep these aliens out of our out of our state and our country to make them go the right way through our deal. But yet, it's a double standard. But for them, they need this protection. They're, they feel so threatened. Well, what do I tell these citizens in Uvalde that they've tried to break in their house? Or what do I tell these people that were in that head-on crash the other day? What do we tell those people? I mean, oh, it's okay. It's all right. The, the government says it's okay. It's not. You don't see them bringing any of these busloads up there to Washington and let them see what we deal with. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy. So I hope our legislature, you know, the governor's talking about uh, – activating the national guard he sent more dps troopers there but i mean every time we send dps troopers to the border then we're pulling them from somewhere else where we need them and it's not you know exactly it's it's not your job it's not your i mean this is the thing for everything this damn federal government does and they do everything forcing two-year-olds to wear masks on airplanes okay there's nothing they can't do but the one thing that they were constituted to do to protect the whole of the sovereignty of the union, they don't do. Because every, you know, states have their internal affairs. Just because you're on the border, you shouldn't be on the hook. But nonetheless, it is what it is. You know, if you have a malignant federal government that's not only not doing anything, but it's on the side of the smugglers and the cartels. So you got to, you know, take it into your own hands. And I'm going to be working for my purposes with uh, state legislatures that I know in, in other states where they have you know, alleged conservative majorities to try to push this bill as well to help donate to this effort. You'd first have to pass it out of Texas and then, you know, have other states piggyback on that to help fund it because, again, it's it's of, by, and for the whole of the people, this effort. Um, because, like, as you noted, you get you guys get the frontline effect, but what stays in Texas, what, what, what comes to Texas doesn't stay in Texas. It goes to all 50 states eventually. Um so, you know, that that's why this is really a group effort. Uh, Mayor, thanks so much for joining us. Please keep us updated, all right? I sure will, Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity to tell what's going on down in our area. Thank you very much. Thank you for your story. God bless you. And, folks, that was Mayor Don McLaughlin, um, just crust-of-the-earth guy, amazing, amazing guy. Um, those small-town mayors, I mean, those are really – the bedrock of of what we're trying to do with local interposition, uh, state interposition, 
these are the people we need to get get together. We're working on putting together a lawsuit, obviously putting together this border wall funding. But again, notice I identify a problem, I delve into it, and I look for the best solutions we can try to implement with the resources we have. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just trying to ask, where are the other conservative voices with the bigger names? What are they doing? Whether they're media people, radio hosts, writers, elected officials, it's truly shocking how Republicans go around as if this doesn't exist. They barely talk about it. They don't do anything about it. Just like they don't do anything about COVID fascism. Just like they don't do anything about every issue of our time. They'll always talk about what's not the issue or something in the past, a legacy issue. They're abstractly pro-gun or pro-life. They don't do anything for us. This is why it's so important state legislatures need to be in session, potentially full-time, so we could redress our grievances through them and you listen to a briefing like that and just realize we are screwed. The amount of garbage that's being let in our country. Basically, we're just a magnet for the world's most dangerous people. Who do you think's coming in? It's getting worse and worse and worse. Eventually, we need that two-state solution as quickly as possible. Revolutions were fought for much, much less. Again, I want you to see how this violates the social compact in the most foundational way you could ever imagine. How they use the military against us, but not against invaders. How they build a wall against us, but not against invaders. How they use the boot of law to crush American businessmen, including legal immigrants that opened up businesses. But then they abuse the law to offer legal help. To every invader in sight. If you don't have a Republican state senator, governor, or senator, or congressman speaking to this point and these type of points with the outrage in their voice and the and the blueprints to deal with it, they are liars, used car salesmen, and worthless. The big question is: will Trump help? elect more people like Don McLaughlin or the same old garbage. Now, not that Don ever said he's running for a higher office. What I'm telling, telling you is that it's people like that, the $50 a month small town mayor jobs that need to run for state legislature, they need to run for Congress, they need to run for governor. Trump could support them. I mean, a guy like that would have no money. He's got no money. Trump could make that happen. I'm just telling you, everyone has their time and place in life. This is Trump's time and place, more so than when he was president. Will he rise to the task? Well, so far, he's done the opposite. We can only hope and pray. And again, all these pseudo-conservatives that have his ear, there's a lot they can do. I know what I would do if I had Trump on speed dial. History will judge people harshly for not using their megaphones, their power and connection to do what's right. Again, I'm trying to do what I can. I apologize, kind of slow creating these these state teams. It's not so easy. Easier said than done, but we are working one state at a time. So patiently sign up for conaction.network. 
Make sure you subscribe to CR Podcast and iTunes. Get 50, 100 of your friends and relatives, neighbors, coworkers to sign up as well. Spread the tr- truth. Spread solutions. Stand up and take back our country. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.